Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere. Online, in-store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash BOF, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash BOF to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash BOF. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. It's Friday, August 5th. Tracy Ellis Ross is a multitasking actor best known for her starring roles in Girlfriends and Blackish, a budding executive producer with multiple projects in development, and also a beauty entrepreneur with Pattern, which she created to address a gap in the market for curly, coily, and textured hair. This week on the BOF podcast, the Golden Globe winning Emmy nominated actor joins me to share her personal journey and talk about managing the little voice in her head, killing perfectionism, and cultivating self-love and acceptance. It all starts and ends with a clear sense of purpose. What makes your creative juices in your body start to flow? And how do you merge who you are with what makes your heart sing? And usually in there, you'll find your purpose. And when you find that, then you gotta be willing to do the work. You gotta be willing to take the hits, to learn from each moment that's there. This is a really special conversation, which I enjoyed so much. I learned a lot. I hope you will too. Here's Tracy Ellis Ross on the BOF podcast. 
Tracy Ellis Ross, welcome to the BOF podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you here. You know, you and I've had the occasion to chat at fashion dinners and events, but we've never... We have been Milan, we've been Paris, we've been... In the last, yeah, a couple of months, I, we've, I feel like we've had so many interactions. It's been lovely. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation because there's so much to talk about. And what I'd really like to start with is just a little bit about your background. Of course, everybody knows you from your work on Blackish and, you know, from the amazing superstar mother you have, Diana Ross. But getting to know you a little bit as a person. And, you know, I, I wanted to start with the question around the decision to go into show business, right? Because sometimes I think that people who have parents who come from that world or come from a world, they want to do something completely different. And I know you did different things first, but then somehow you ended up in show business anyway. So how did that all happen? Well, we should backtrack a little more even. So I was raised, born in LA, raised in New York and Europe. I went to school in Paris and Switzerland during those formative teen years. And I do think that living in Europe was an important part of my aesthetic and sort of what propelled me into my adult life and my creative self. Living in Europe makes you a child of the world, not just an American. And then I was a lover of fashion growing up. So my connection originally to being a performer was through fashion. I thought it was going to be through modeling. And then I worked in the fashion industry. I was a fashion editor and contributing editor at Mirabella. And that's how I became best friends with Samira. We met way back then. So clothing was my armor and sort of how I looked at the world. And that merged with this very big personality that I had. The idea of my mother on stage and seeing this woman full of agency on stage and the combination of those three things, I just am a performer at heart, a performer who loves pretty things. <laughs> a performer unlike my mother who is not all comedy. Like I'm a performer who loves to make people laugh, who loves to spread joy. My mom, she spreads love and who loves to wear pretty things while I do it. Well, that's a good summation. And I always like to ask why, you know, why is that who you are? Where does that performer instinct, where does it come from? I think the truth is the performer in me is really about wanting to connect with people. It's a way of being an alchemist and a translator and to create community and connection. And I think that's what has moved through my career and been the thread that connects me as an entrepreneur, to me as an executive producer, to me as an actor, to me as a model, like all of those aspects are kind of connected through this idea of creating community and making people feel good in their skin or offering the tools for people to embrace who they are and feel empowered in who they are. And I think my underlying mission through everything, Imran, is really about working towards a world where people feel safe to be who they are and that so much is possible from that place. And I don't think we're necessarily there yet, but so much of the work that I do in the world is really about that. And it's so important to be able to articulate one's mission or purpose, especially when you have so many different opportunities, because it helps you to kind of align the things you do with that purpose and mission. How did you... Even more than that, though, Imran, you said when you have so many opportunities, I think the mission for me, my mission, my sort of ethos as a human, when I had no opportunities, was guiding me when I was trying to create opportunity and create the content that I wanted to be involved in. So it, it really is a through line. I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, no, actually, I was just going to ask, like, how did you discover that mission? How did you stumble upon that mission? And it sounds like in part, it came from maybe not having the opportunities you wanted at the beginning. I actually think it came before that. It was me as a young girl. I was really shy, which is so hard for people to imagine. But my shyness manifested in a large personality, which if you think about it, keeps people just as much at a distance as being a wallflower. And I was one of those kids that 
really wanted, like if I walked in a room and I felt like it was cloudy, I wanted to bring the sun. I loved making people giggle. I would do characters all the time. And so I think my mission became defined out of so much of who I am and my own journey of trying to get comfortable in my skin, my own journey towards self-acceptance and finding, discovering, and eventually liking and loving myself and wanting that for everybody. Because I know what the journey, like I know what the experience was when that wasn't there for me and then discovering what it feels like when it's there and the power that you feel, not in terms of power over other people, but more the power of connection. So how did you make that it's not a leap. It's a struggle, right? It's a It's like one foot in front of the other chewing on ground glass. That's really an interesting question and a beautiful question. I think it's a daily reprieve and a daily exercise of putting self-love into action. So making choices that actually honor where I am and who I am, which takes a lot of courage sometimes because you're choosing outside of the status quo, outside of the norm and not necessarily following what other people do, but following your own inner compass. And in order to do that, you have to gain a relationship with yourself where you know how to hear that voice. And that's not an easy one. So I think it's been a lot of internal work, really good friends, a really beautiful family, and also finding friends that are part of your tribe that really match up with who you are. And also having friends that are steps ahead of you so that you have those to call on. I just, I have such a strong belief in the benefit of what community does. And I think that plays so much, Imran, into what I've built with Pattern and what's been important to me at the center and as the anchor of what Pattern is. And now also what I'm able to do as a producer, creating environments where creativity can thrive and selfhood can thrive. And where that's actually the currency that I'm playing in versus selling something. And I want to talk about pattern, definitely. But before we get there, something you said a minute ago really stuck with me. You said, you know, there's these moments of struggle or these difficult moments when you have a little voice in your head. Do you have an example of one of those moments that can help us kind of better understand what you mean? Yeah, um, this is the first thing that came to mind. It came pretty quickly, so I'll share this one. I used to have a ton of trouble auditioning. It's terrifying for me. As I said, I was shy, not that anybody knew that. And I knew what I had inside. I did not know how to get it out. I would get so nervous that I just couldn't, like when it would get down to it in the room, like I would practice at home and do all these things. And then when it would get down to it in that room, it just wouldn't come out. And it was really upsetting to me. And it was a real struggle. And it felt embarrassing. It felt like there was a lot of shame for me around this disconnect between who I knew I was and who I was sharing with the world. Those moments where there's a disconnect between knowing better, but can't do better, like all those kinds of things. And that comes up outside of auditioning. Like that's in life too, where you get nervous in front of the crush you have or whatever that is, you know what I mean? Or in that job interview, or even when push comes to shove and you have to speak up for yourself, how do you get to be that person that you know you are out in the world? But for me, the best exercise that I was given is could I go into an audition not to get the part, not to be amazing, not to do what I set out to do or know I could do, but just to take one conscious breath while I was in the room. Just one. That was my only job. And it felt like, what a waste. I've got this audition. I'm going to If I could take one conscious breath where I was actually present and not running past myself, not beating myself up, but actually in the moment and take one conscious breath. And the more that I gave myself feasible goals, healthy, risky behavior, right? Like taking that small leap and the courage to like backtrack off of what I want, off of what I know I could do, but into just what was possible in that moment. I started to create an opening and an entranceway into what I actually think is my gift, being present. I don't know that I'm the best actor. I don't know that I'm the best CEO. I don't know that, you know, but what I have is an ability to really be present in the moment with what is true for me and how that matches up and collides with the truth and the reality of the moment that's in front of me. And so those 
one conscious breath sort of extended into me being able to actually not even have to think about taking a conscious breath in an audition, but actually just being present in an audition. And when I'm present and, you know, audition as an example, but now in life, what I'm able to do is actually bring myself into the room. And what I always say to people is the best gift each of us has to give is ourselves. There's no other, whether it's an idea you're giving or any of those things. So that's one example of, and, and, and that when I said chewing on ground glass before, you're, you like bristled. <laughs> but that space of where I am versus where I want to be is often such a tangled and dangerous space. And when I say dangerous, just in terms of how engaging it is as a person. But when I can make friends with that space and sit with it, sometimes it feels like chewing on ground glass. It feels like it's the exact opposite of what's going to get you where you want to be. But it's so worth it on the other side. It so is. And it's so interesting to hear you put it that way about like making that space to be conscious, right? And not being in your head about, I can imagine, I used to do some acting myself, not professionally, but when, and I just remember like, you can get into your own head, not, not just in acting, but in anything, anything where- Anything, I think of dinner conversations. You know, you and I sat next to each other at that lovely, beautiful at a dinner, eating that wonderful food. And even in those moments, like I remember in that moment, I asked the man two seats over, I asked him a question that happened to be a question that struck on a hurt place in him. It seemed like a benign question. But it wasn't. And another human being that I didn't know clearly got jostled. And then I went into my head and started beating myself up. Like, how stupid of me? Like, what? why would I ask that question? Like, it felt benign, but I should have known better. Like, if someone had asked me that question, I might have gotten bristled too. It sounded like dinner table conversation, but for some reason, it landed differently and then you go into your head and then, you know, the worst is when you start making meaning of that and then turn that into, I'm a bad person. Right. And you get into that whole dialogue with yourself, beating yourself up. And I think we all, we have so much of it. And so how do we show up to ourselves, to our lives with kindness and gentleness and mustering all the humanity that exists? to say, I can make a mistake or I can even do something that I didn't think was a mistake, it was a mistake, and then it doesn't have to mean I'm a mistake and sort of hold that with love and let that be. And you know, that's auditioning, that's dinner conversation, that's in a relationship. I have a friend that always says, we might know better, but we don't always do better. And we can't change our first thought, but we can definitely be conscious of our actions. I was reading earlier today about some of your relationship with perfectionism. And that's a lot of where that dialogue comes from, right? And that beating up, and I personally can relate to that a lot, which is just wanting to do the best. And sometimes that comes from your lived experience of being not the majority, being that, that only person in the room and knowing that you have to live up to this much higher standard on everything. Like you don't, and you get this thing in your head that you can't make any mistakes, but of course, it's making mistakes, learning from them, except, you know, being kind to yourself and then being able to just pick up and try again. Yeah, the perfectionism, you know, it's interesting. And yes, you nailed it on the head. What I just shared is like an unpacking of some of the dynamics of perfectionism. I will say that my perfectionism, I'm also grateful for because it has given me also some good things around a standard of excellence. And if I can pair my standard of excellence, my work ethic, if I can take the perfectionism out of it and hold those things left and pair those with humanity and compassion and kindness, and also knowing that like, mm, I don't know everything. You know what I mean? I feel like that's the kiss of death for any creative, any artist. As soon as you think you know everything, you're screwed. And that's where I go back to the sense of community. But yeah, my perfectionism really did inform some good stuff in terms of my work ethic and my standard of excellence. So when Tracy was the moment, if there ever was one. I have some, when I knew. Yeah. So I told you I was this shy girl when, I will also say, grew up loving Carol Burnett and Lucille Ball. So you see Diana Ross, Carol Burnett, Lucille Ball. And then if I tell you some of the TV shows I loved, it was Wonder Woman, Charlie's Angels. So I knew that a woman, whether I saw myself 
in them as a black woman, I knew I could leap tall buildings. I knew that I could have tons of agency. I could solve crimes. I could be a best friend. I knew, I knew the possibilities were endless for me, even though that was not the specific messaging that I was given. So I modeled all through like sort of the end of high school, college. I thought that's what I wanted to be. I had all the supermodels all over my walls. I still have Vogue's and L's and all that from 83, 1983. Like I was like combing through magazines, like, yeah. But in college, I took an acting class and the assignment was, there was one line, which was there's a man on a roof and he's going to jump. And we had to each stand up in front of the class and say that line three different ways. I was like, what is this acting stuff? <laughs> I mean, I was like, what? I can use all my fears. I can use my imagination. I can use my body. I can use my facial expressions. I can use my huge personality that was getting me thrown out of class all through grade school. I can use like every aspect of me. I was like, I can even get dressed in pretty costumes. I was like, get out of here. What is this? And boom, the lightning struck and that was it. I was like, oh, I'm comfortable in front of people. I had no idea. You know, if you give me something to channel that through, I'm good. And so that was the beginning of it. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't like a cakewalk. I didn't like become a star in two seconds or something. But the journey, you know, then auditioning came after that. That was a big road bump. And then I remember when I started doing speaking engagements, like that was a nightmare. I was a nightmare. I was so bad. I was so bad. I would stay up. So let me just give you a little context on that. In 2007, the Obama campaign reached out to me to be a celebrity surrogate to go out and speak on behalf of his campaign. And I was like, first of all, I don't know anything about politics. Second of all, I suck at speaking and that scares me. Third of all, why are you asking me? I discovered the answers to all of those questions, but in the meantime, had to go out and do these speeches. <laughs> it's like horrible. I would stay up until like the wee hours of the morning trying to perfectly craft and write a script and a, a speech. And then I would stand with the paper like in my face, like reading it like a dummy, like not connecting to anybody and had to like make my way through that to the other side. But like all of those moments were me reconciling the concept of what I wanted to be with the reality of what it takes to be that person and sitting through all of the shame and the discomfort and the embarrassment and chewing on ground glass to like learn a new skill and like show up anyway and keep showing up for something bigger than myself, honestly, is where it always happens. And yeah, the lightning struck. I mean, I'm a performer always. <laughs> You're a performer and it's really incredible to hear the background to how you got there because one who's seen you i mean i saw you at the british fashion awards a few years ago and you owned the royal albert hall like to imagine that at any point in your life i sang an improv song like a crazy lady <laughs> it's <was> amazing <laughs> what was your relationship with your mom and how did that impact or influence this journey because clearly she had gone through this superstardom thing you grew up with it in a way like you saw it so my mom, my family, we're such a family, but we don't do a lot of career talk with each other. We like hold each other as family. I don't know. It's interesting and not, I don't know. We don't always talk about career. So I think the biggest examples I got from my mom really were from watching her. My work ethic is from my mother. My mother is meticulous. She's a businesswoman. I hear about sometimes celebrities that like don't pack their own bags and I'm like, what? I don't get it. <laughs> like my mom's always packed her own bags. My mom's always done her own hair and makeup. My, you know what I mean? Like I, so I don't, my relationship to this all came from my mom. This idea that my professionalism was just as tied to my creativity and my artistry as my businesswoman, as being on time. I mean, my mom always used to say being on time means you come and you're fed and you're actually ready to work when the time is that you're supposed to be there. So I got all of those examples from my mother, along with the fact that I wanted to be a lady in a sparkly dress on a stage. <laughs> so there's moments in my career in life that I run those kinds of things by my mom, but mostly it's the example that I gained from witnessing someone who is at the pinnacle of her craft and her ability and her power. That's where that mostly came from. So you're a Golden Globe winning 
actress. You're nominated for all of these things. Multiple Emmy nominations, exactly. nine NAACP awards, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing. You're like on this path to superstardom. Uh, and then you decide at some point that you need to do something else and launch Pattern. I was watching some of your videos today on like YouTube of your beauty routine and reading a little bit about why this was so important to you to take on. But at what point did you realize that there was such a big opportunity here that the black hair care market was one that people weren't really even considering or thinking about? Black women are at the center of culture. We are at the center of economic, political. I mean, if you think of politics, the Black female vote turns the tide and changes the direction of things. We influence culture. We are at the center of so many of these things. We're often utilized, not always often centered. So that's one part of it. So my mission in life, as I told you, can easily be articulated as wanting to help build a world, create a world, support a world where everyone feels safe to be who they are. But I have a particular eye towards Black women. I'm a Black woman, and I know my journey, and I feel inextricably linked and tied to my community and the sisterhood of that. The hair company came out of my own personal hair journey. I could chronicle my journey of self-acceptance through my hair. I could tell you stories through the whole journey and sort of coming to love and accept my hair matches up with me coming to love and accept myself. In a world where natural texture and my authentic beauty and the authentic beauty of Black people is not mirrored back as mainstream, as the standard of beauty, as acceptable, as appropriate, as any of those things, I, like so many of us, have had to fight through to find my sense of self and to see myself mirrored back somewhere, whether it's being Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder or step out in that streetwear, you'll realise that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. 
Visit ebay.com for terms. Shown to me or not. So can I understand, is that another way of saying that growing up, you wanted your hair to be different? Or was it that you loved your hair, but you didn't have a way of taking care of it and making Both. it? Both are true. So I spent years, like any teenager, trying to match up with what was cool, what was considered beautiful, what was considered desirable. Obviously, my mom was Diana Ross and an international icon with big natural hair, but a teenager's not looking to their mom to figure out what's cool. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> like, I don't care how cool your mom is, that's not where you're looking, you know? So at the time when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, but 80s and 90s, I'm looking around and I could tell you on my hand the women whose natural hair was being portrayed. Newscasters were not wearing their hair naturally. You know, Cicely Tyson was one of very few that had come through. I mean, you think of Angela Davis, Cicely Tyson, like you can name those people on your hand. And then my generation was Cree Summer, Lisa Bonet, Ray Don Chong, Nena Cherry. Like there's like, you can count them on your hand. So we weren't seeing that everywhere. I wasn't seeing myself in popular culture mirrored back to me. And so any teenager is going to try and do all the things. And then there's another layer, any teenager, but then a black teenager in a culture that not only is it that you're not being celebrated as beautiful for the features and natural texture or body shape or any of those things, but also you are being vilified. Whether that's being consciously discussed or not, that's a part of it. And that's a real rabbit hole. But if we lead you through this story, so as I'm discovering myself and trying to gain a relationship with my hair, I also discovered there were no tools. There were no products. The shelf was the same. The, the selection of products was the exact same selection of products my mom had had access to. They were not on the shelf with all the other products. They were back in a corner. And that had been the same for an eternity. So when I got onto Girlfriends and I had nursed my hair back to health after this teenage years of beating my hair into submission, trying all of the things, relaxers and texturizers and heat and all these things and not having products. By the time I had nursed my hair back to health and got onto a television show on Girlfriends, a very popular television show where I was the only one wearing my hair naturally. And, um, and I was now joining the ranks of those people that I had named on my hand earlier as one of those people in that realm. I started to recognize that I was not the only one that had become my own best expert in my bathroom, that was cocktailing products, and that was looking for support for my hair as it grew out of my hair if I wanted to wear it naturally. And so when I finished Girlfriends, I wrote my first hair care brand pitch, which was 13 years ago now, 10 years until my products got launched. Me 10 years. And during that 10 years, there was no natural hair movement. None of that was happening. And I was feeling that back to me. People were like, why you? You should get a professional. You should partner with a stylist. And I was like, do you know how many stylists don't know how to do my hair? Do you know how many stylists have ruined my hair and created more shame and discomfort for me? Most people that I knew that had hair like me, Samira included, I would start friendships that way. What products do you use? That was where I started. I would be like, what products do you use? We had become our own best experts. We had learned through storytelling, through legacy, through all these different things, how to care for our hair. So during that 10 years, not only did I clarify my vision, solidify my mission, I left that 10 years with a hair Bible of all the language I wanted to use, the vision for the brand, what products and SKUs I wanted, what I would want a website to be, how I wanted to change the paradigm of how we were marketed to as black hair care products. And so what I will say is that the mission for the brand is the easiest way to articulate what that 10 years taught me, which is that we are a company that meets and exceeds the needs of the curly, coily, and tight textured community. We are centered around the celebration of black beauty. Um, and that means that our content and our products are developed and built around Black people as the subject and not the object of what we create. I don't believe that hair has a gender or a race, which is the reason that it is for curly, coily, and tight textures. However, I am very deliberate and very specific that this brand is centered around the celebration of Black beauty. And that is sort of what came out of 10 years. So much of marketing that I have never understood as a shopper and a beauty lover and all of that, it's based on telling you there's something wrong with you and shaming you into believing you need this product in order to be okay. 
I don't know about you, Imran, but I shop the most when I feel good about myself. So like this whole idea of creating this impossible, aspirational, very narrow vision that's far away from who people are and like not capitalizing on that insecurity and that shame and instead celebrating and centering that beauty. It's the simplest thing, but it is so far outside of the way the industry of beauty works. And it's been such a journey. You know, I'm the CEO and founder. I own majority of the company. I have full creative control. And all of the aspects get filtered through that mission, get filtered through that celebration. Which is essential. But you can have that mission. You can have the vision. You can have an underserved market, but you have to get a business off the ground. So how did you do that? Well, that was quite a journey. As I said, 10 years during that time, it was like, how do you pull a dream from underground into the into the present. I don't know. I didn't know how to make goop, none of it. So I tried all these different angles. I will not spend time telling you all those angles. What ended up working, the last moment that got me over the hump, this is the interesting one. So JCPenney approached me to do a line of clothing. Was not necessarily an idea that my team thought was the right one. Like, well, you know, that wasn't where I was heading and all that. But I was like, what can I learn here? What money can I make to support the dream? And boy, did I learn and support the dream. So what I learned is that my brand translates appropriately to sales. And I got statistics about that. I also learned how to articulate a marketing vision. What goes into that? How you do that? I got practice. I also was able to fund the beginning of what I wanted to do. So important. However, what I discovered is you shouldn't use your own money. <laughs> Very important lesson. It's really important that people don't talk about that, but nobody tells you that. People say they own the company, and so you think that means they spent their money. I didn't know that, Imran. That's okay. I, thank God, was coming not from a deficit, so I was okay. I at first thought I would hire somebody who would help me run this company. That didn't go well. Hired somebody. This was, you know, after a lot of other no's. That didn't go well. What ended up working was I wrote out the mission again and the skews, exactly what I wanted the brand to be. I want to give you two little fun stories. When I first wrote the hair care brand pitch, a manager ages ago, who's not my manager now, read it and said, this is wonderful. We should do a line of wigs. I was like, <laughs> oh no. What? You completely <laughs> missed the point. You missed the point. Yeah. Okay. I had one who said we should do a television show. I'm like, I don't understand how that gets me hair products. And I had another agent who made me cry. But all I needed to do was go to the people that I knew, right? So the JCPenney thing helped me translate my actor world information into retail, into a different business. What I ended up doing was going to retail partners first before I even had Goop. I started working with chemists. I met with three different chemists and manufacturers. And I found a chemist that I could have individual in-person time with so that I could articulate what it was I needed in the products. I wasn't interested in slapping my name on formulas that existed. And so I was able to talk one-on-one -on -one with a chemist. And one of the things I discovered is that the efficacy of a product is determined in general on what white hair does. So that was a glitch that we had to get through. It was really interesting. I'm not a chemist. I don't know how to articulate with the terms. So having the one-on-one -on -one contact to be able to really express what I was looking for was really helpful. I then had meetings with retail partners directly, which is not usually what happens. But at that point, my name and my vision and mission for the brand was actually getting me in the door. Both of them wanted the products before I had any goop. And I asked them, and this is something I took from my acting life. When I would get somebody who was interested, I would say, is there anyone else you think I should meet? Or I would ask questions. I said, how would I run a hair company? What do I need? You need an operational partner. Oh, you mean a producer? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like an operational partner. So they gave me each a list of three companies to meet with. I met with all those companies, already had a retail partner, found my partners, then had to go through making a deal. And then it just took off from there. Once I had my operational partners who know how to run a company, all the aspects that are involved, 
Um, and I had made a deal where I maintained full creative control and all of those things because it was my idea that I brought to them. Then we started to take off. I even got a product development person who could help me translate what I wanted into the products. And 75 samples later, four videos per trying of a sample, I would get in and out of the shower while I was trying the samples. And then our first line of SKUs was developed from there. I gave it to you in a very shortened way, but you know, it's a lot. It's amazing. I, I can't even imagine how much work that was. How did you know who the right partners were? Because so much of the success of these kinds of things is in judging who to work with, who understands your vision, who you can rely on when things don't work out as you planned. I trust my instincts. And one of the ways that I listened to those instincts after all those years, like those things I shared with you about learning how to be present, there's two ways that I do it. I'm a person who likes to sleep on things and walk away. So I asked myself how I felt in the meeting, how I felt after the meeting. Was it easy for me to communicate? Did I feel like I was being listened to? How did they retell me what they heard? And what is their track record? Who have they worked with? What are the products that they have developed and, and, um, and what are those relationships like? And then sometimes it doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like I told you that person I hired with my money, with my money's out of my pocket, that did not go well. You know what I mean? And you hope that those mistakes don't put you in the deficit and mess with your dream. And I have a really good lawyer who helped me to have a dream where I felt protected. But, you know, I have a belief, Imran, like I'm not trying to win everything for me. I really have a communal desire. I think if I'm rising, everyone working with me rises. You know what I mean? Like there's an element of community that is at the core of everything that I do and people being able to, obviously from a professional standpoint, but bring themselves to the table and feel like they have agency and celebration in their contribution. I don't know everything. I don't want to know everything. I want to know enough and I want to keep growing and learning, but I'm not the PD person. I was looking at some of the product mix today. And for people who are not familiar with pattern or indeed with the specific needs for people with curly, coily, textured hair, what's the star product? Like, what's the thing that people should know about to understand why this was an underserved market and how the product you created addressed that need? So I think there's two questions in that. Our hero products and the star products are the leave-in conditioner, styling cream, and those, there's a couple of others. The leave-in conditioner, we pushed our launch because I didn't think we had gotten it yet. The leave-in conditioner is a holy grail for many reasons, particularly for this community. Moisture, hydration, curl activation. And that doesn't mean like activating a curl that doesn't exist. It means creating the right environment for that curl to do what it does naturally, right? So... The leave-in conditioner, if hydration is a key thing, you want a shampoo that's not going to strip your hair, but it's going to cleanse your hair and scalp. We have that. We have two choices. Then you want a conditioner that's really going to penetrate the cuticle of your hair and really make sure that that moisture gets in. For so many in the curly, coily, and tight textured community, conditioners don't do that. They don't give you enough moisture in your hair so that you create slip and you can get through without tangling and breaking your hair. And they certainly don't hydrate your hair enough so that there's longevity and your hair is juicy and joyful. But then once you've done that, you want to keep that moisture in your hair and that's what the leave-in conditioner is. And it's like the holy grail because you can use it on dry hair, you can use it on wet hair, and then having products that are effective, do what you want them to do. Some of the key factors are slip, hydration, and curl activation. Do what you want them to do, but also are not toxic. Also do not hurt you. Also do not harm you. And create a longevity for healthy, juicy, and joyful hair. And that's really what has gone into the formulation for these products, along with, Imran, beautiful products, like packaging that's beautiful and feels elevated and elegant and fun and also functional. That's not going to slip out of your hand in the shower. Like I thought of all those things because I had 10 years to really think of it. <laughs> so you've got this business going now, 13 years in the making. You have a very clearly articulated mission. You have a community of people that you're engaging with. Like, where does it go from here? Where do you want to take it? Well, there's a lot more to do in this specific space. Some of that is in the pipeline. Some of that I'm in the process of visioning about. 
one of the original dreams was that this is a vast community of people that have been here long before I arrived and will be here long after I leave, um, that have been beautiful across the globe in this diaspora um, forever. And so one of the goals is to expand across the diaspora and launching in the UK this summer was a really big part of that dream. And that will continue to expand from there. I want to get in Italy and Paris and France and all of that. And for me, the mission of the brand itself is anchored to my larger mission that I've shared with you, but specifically now as a CEO and founder and also the work that I do in the DEI space with Ulta and other companies is really to dispel and dissolve the myth that black hair care is a niche market, to support the data that needs to be in the industry so that we are not always a surprise, so that we can actually continue to meet the needs of this community in a way that actually matches our, no pun intended, patterns and rhythms of shopping and the products that we need and how we need them. And so that's another part and another arm for what I'm doing with my role as CEO and founder. A lot of CEOs and founders, maybe who don't have another whole career, they build these companies with the goal of one day selling them. Is that something that you think about? It's something I'm learning about, Imran, honestly. It's an area that I find very exciting. Numbers are not my forte. Feelings are. So gaining knowledge in these areas is really interesting. For me, if I can channel that equity into the community that I want to support, then I'm open to that as a pathway. But I'm learning, so I don't know. If I can channel that into equity that can support other Black female entrepreneurs, not just in the beauty industry, but across all industry, if I can help organizations that are doing and have been doing extraordinary work to make our world safer and more just, that works for me. So if the energy of equity can be shared through something like that, then I'm open to it. It's full circle back to that mission again and that community. Yeah. What's the point otherwise? Who cares? I find that really powerful. I talk sometimes with our team at BOF, but also other founders about how like when you have that mission, even on a personal level, but also on an organizational level, it just really helps to guide you through everything, even down to exiting your company. Okay. So let's go full circle then. How does it compare to be a performer, actor, movie star, television star, Golden Globe Award winning, Emmy nominated, and being an entrepreneur. Like you've had both those experiences now. I love them all. I'm a real smart lady. I really like using my brain. It's what turns me on in life. Intelligence and and mostly emotional intelligence and emotional IQ is incredibly sexy to me. And so being able to utilize all aspects, both my heart and my womb in terms of my fertility, and I mean creative fertility, um, and my mind really is what makes my life feel juicy and joyful. And so I like when I get to show up and just be an actor. I just did an independent film a couple months ago. I'm going to do another one. I love being an actor. It's wonderful. And I love using that part of myself. I love being a CEO and using my mind in that way and also my creativity in that way. And I love being an executive producer. You know, I have three projects that are in post-production right now and sort of moving out into the world. And I don't know that I'll give up any of them. I always used to say like on Blackish, one of the things that I love so much about Bo Johnson is that she wasn't one thing. And so many of the women that I know are so many things. They are mothers and they are business people and they like all these different things. And I think letting all of those aspects of you live and thrive is what creates a fulfilling life. And I know that it's a blessing that I'm able to be in all of these areas, particularly when I think back to the times when there was nothing and I was so like sad and bored and scared <laughs> and like, oh God. You know, so I feel very awake to what is here now and what I've built and also what the universe has shared with me. I, I feel very awake to it. It's so inspiring and amazing to see someone realize the potential they always knew they had. Oh, it's, it. Oh, yeah. But that they 
found, you found a path to it. So if you were thinking about young people out there at that stage in their life, you know, I remember what it was like. I was like, I know I want to do something with my life, but what am I going to do? So what advice do you offer to people out there who are struggling with that question? I don't believe in advice. I love to offer experience, strength, and hope. I like to share my own experience because I feel like, I don't know what you should do. I don't know all the ins and outs of your the machinations of your life and your inner life and your experiences. But I really think that my suggestion would be start inside with what makes your heart sing. But even before that, gaining an unbreakable, unshakable relationship with yourself. There's so many different outlets and tools for how to do that. There's therapy, there's spiritual practices, there, you know what I mean? There's senses of community, there's group, there's like all these different ways. There's journaling, there's so many different ways to find a pathway that speaks to you, that allows you the tools to have that unbreakable, unshakable relationship with yourself. And then from there, what makes your heart sing? What turns you on? What makes your creative juices in your body start to flow? And how do you merge who you are with what makes your heart sing? And usually in there, you'll find your purpose. And when you find that, then you got to be willing to do the work. You got to be willing to take the hits, to learn from each moment that's there, the hard ones and the good ones, stay present and like keep putting one foot in front of the other and even shift if you need to. And then the biggest thing I would say to some younger person, you know, I turned 50 this year is you don't have to be one thing at all times. But when you do a thing, do it with all of you. It will give you the biggest sense of fulfillment if you really let yourself show up with what you're doing. Thank you. This was such a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. Well, it's our first proper conversation and I'm really grateful for that advice. It gave me some full body chills at the end there. So I hope... Everyone who's listening all around the world takes away something. I know they will from this conversation. I'm so grateful. And I look forward to bumping into you at some super fabulous fashion show or dinner or something somewhere very soon. Me too. I hope we get to be seatmates again at some point in the near future. And I really thank you for taking the time with me, for listening so, so gently and kindly with me and for asking such beautiful questions. I really appreciate the time. I do too. Well, I wish you a lovely afternoon and thank you for joining us on the BOF Podcast. Thank you. The BOF Podcast is edited and produced by Emma Clark, Kate Vartan, and Eric Bria in the BOF Studio team. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. The point is, when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.